that was fantastic. Really, all I to say is come as we stand and sing. So that uh, song that we sang, Reckless Love, I was talking to Tucker about it before the service, whenever it was playing and they were getting it ready, about what is that scripture that that's from, right? especially that first part about God singing over us. And it comes from a book I know you all read all the time. It is from Zephaniah. So it's one of those kind of obscure books, but what a powerful passage of scripture that is and that beautiful thought of God singing over us. Tonight we're talking about lots of love still for a troubled church, talking about the church in the ancient city of Philippi, talked about in the New Testament in the book of Philippians. If you were from Philippi, you were a Philippian. And so tonight we're talking about what was going on in that church, and we're kind of going through this slowly for some of you and really quickly for others of you. But what we know is from that little letter that you can read in 15 minutes in the New Testament that there was an issue that was going on with two women. There's these two women by the names of Euodia and Syntyche that weren't getting along. And so whatever had happened, Paul had heard about it. Now, Paul knows the Philippians, but he's not in Philippi. He's over here in prison. He's in prison. He hears things, and surely it all makes him nervous. He's not in prison because he's a, because he's a burglar. He's not in prison because he stole someone's chariot. It's not for something like that. He is in prison because he has been preaching the gospel. And so now that he has been preaching Jesus, and he hears that there is trouble in the church, you can just imagine how frustrating that is to him. Because he's like, I am giving my life. I'm giving my reputation. I'm giving my time, my mind. I could have made a lot more money than what I'm doing. There doesn't need to be any problems like going on in Philippi. And so he writes this beautiful letter about how much he loves them. But at the same time, when you understand what's going on, you realize there's something powerful in his words that he writes. And so tonight we're going to look at Philippians chapter 1 and verses 27 through 30. Remember, he's in prison as he writes this, and I've italicized a few things. I want you to hear it. The Apostle Paul in prison says, Whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now listen to this. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is a powerful passage, isn't it? When you think about what Paul has been experiencing and what he's going through at that moment. Now, here's some points to ponder from that little passage. Boy, that's hard to say, points to ponder from that passage. I was one time preaching a sermon. I was asked to speak at the end of a ser service one time, and, and I was working for Oklahoma Christian University at the time, and I got up, and they were amening me, and all at once I, out of my mouth comes, we are saving students from the snares of Satan. I don't even know how all that came out, but I put that in my little repertoire and started using it from then on. 
But here are some points to ponder. We need to be unified. He is calling on his people to be unified. He's saying, get along. But also understand this about unity, that unity doesn't mean absolute uniformity. We are going to disagree on some things sometimes. That is okay. You know, Barbara and I don't always agree on everything. There are days I don't agree with myself. You know what I'm talking about, right? We all have times, this is what I think now. Well, this is what I think now. And there has only been one second pass. It is not complete uniformity all the time. There will be things where we have to give each other grace to say, okay, I understand, I understand, but we're trying to work here in the middle in these lanes where we can all get along, but we understand that we will sometimes have some different concepts or ideas or understandings or interpretations of Scripture or however you want to put that. But we find a way to stay united in Jesus. Now, I've shared this with you before, but I want to share it again because it makes sense tonight to use it. I was asked years ago, several years ago, to, to, to interview a man publicly, a man by the name of Bob Gregg, Greg, who was the minister at the Lacoma Church of Christ in Mustang, Oklahoma, where Austin Peace, our own Austin Peace, is the youth minister now. Bob Gregg had been a minister there for more than 50 years, and he was retiring. And I asked I was asking him questions, and there was one question I asked him about, Bob, how do you do it? How do you keep the church all together? You've never split. How do you do this? He said, well, we have three congregations in one. He said, in my class on Wednesday night, he taught the auditorium, kind of a traditional way to teach it. He said, we've got the folks that are a little bit, what would this be, a little bit to the left. It'd be left this way for you, opposite for me, right? A little bit to the left. And then we got these folks that are a little bit to the right. And then we got these folks in the middle that really don't know which way they're going. And he said, sometimes on Sunday, sometimes in our Bible class on Wednesday night, the conversation kind of goes this way and that way and this way and that way. He said, then I say, he raises his hand and says, uh, folks, it is five minutes until the hour. Raise your hand if you believe that Jesus is Lord. Everybody raises their hand and he says, well, then we're going to leave tonight agreeing on something. Jesus is Lord, and they leave. I thought that was one of the best things I'd ever learned in my life. It's not always uniformity, but it is always unity. We remember that we are of the same spirit, that we have been called by God, that we have been given the, his Holy Spirit, that it is his spirit that we're in that we follow but I also want you to see something. We're not going to go back to the slide, but I want to read it to you for just a minute. When he says, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. But you stand, remember? This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Our courage is a sign of victory. Our courage is what God is giving us that we will be victorious. That's really important, right? That's important to know that because you're, that you're courageous, that you are standing for your faith. That when you go to work tomorrow morning and there are things that are 
that you don't agree with. And I don't just mean you don't think we ought to invest our money here or you don't think we ought to do this or that. But I mean things that are against God. And you say, I just can't go along with that. I just can't do that. Or whenever you're working with your kids or even working with your parents. And there are times you say, I'm sorry, I just can't do that. Or no, I have to do this. Your courage is a sign of the victory that you're going to have in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And it's what God says it is. It's what Paul says it is. And then, boy, does he say something. Because I would think that if I am going to stand up for Jesus, that everything is going to be good all the time. And then he says this that seems just like, whoa. He says, suffering is a gift. Have you ever thought of suffering as a gift? Usually when we suffer, it is a why me, Lord, right? For he said this, and you don't have to go back to it. I just want you to hear it. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. It has been granted to you to suffer for him. Wow. Wow. So when sometimes when we think about suffering, we think about suffering being, oh, I'm going to be taken out and burned at the stake. Or they're going to throw me to the lions like they did in the old days. Or maybe it's Yodi and Syntyche, two women over here in the church that aren't exactly getting along. And one of them thinks something about the other or doesn't like something about the other. And he's saying to Yodi and Syntyche, don't forget that you have been given the gift of suffering. That you're going to suffer, not just those big things, because let me tell you, the big things, in my opinion, are a lot easier to deal with than the day-to-day -day sufferings that we put up with. It's a lot harder to suffer when somebody's only pulling out one of your hair, pulling out one hair at a time, right? That's a lot more difficult to deal with. We want to respond negatively to that. If it's something huge, sometimes we can prepare ourselves and be ready for it. Our suffering will be a gift. But knowing that I am going to be saved by Christ and knowing that my courage is a sign of the victory that God is doing, I might be a little bit proud. <laughs> well, sorry about you, but I'm the winner. See how courageous I am? My courage shows that I'm a winner. And so therefore, I don't think much about you. All of you are peons and I'm the great one, right? That could be the way we look at it because we know that we are winners, so to speak that we are going to win in Christ, and sometimes that leads to our pride, and it could have been that Yodia thought, well, see, there, I'm bold, so therefore I'm the winner, and could have been Syntyche said, well, I'm the winner, and now they're all prideful. So we come to the very next verse in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and he starts with this, therefore. Remember all this about suffering? Now he, now he goes right into, therefore, because of that suffering, because of that victory, because of that sign of your courage, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do absolutely nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Obviously, I've added absolutely there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, not even equal with yourself, 
but above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Ooh, this is where Christianity starts to get kind of difficult. You know, it's really nice when it's all just kumbaya and we all love each other, you know, we go to church and, you know, we get to have a potluck or whatever. We don't have many potlucks around here because we don't know how lucky the pots will be or something. I don't know. But just, you know, we get to eat together. We get to be together. You know, you know what I'm talking about? That's all nice. But now he says, I want you to value each other more than you value your own self. I want you to be humble in everything you do. He says, basically, there is no space for vain pride. Well, vanity and pride are very similar to each other, right? There is no space for that. Because selfish ambition will divide Christians. Churches are divided. Congregations are divided by selfish ambition. Now, sometimes, I want to just kind of give you a broad illustration here. And one reason why this is broad is because if we got very specific, then we would have our own division, okay? So I want to make it very broad. That sometimes there may be something that we would say, you know what, we could start doing at Memorial. Something we haven't done before. I don't know what that is. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take us down some, some, some direction. Don't think that as I say this. But we could start doing that. And then everybody over here would go, no way are we going to do anything like, no, 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 no. How about if it's wrong, that's a great answer, right? But even if it were right and it was just fine, not something we had to do, but it was just fine. If it causes division, then we have an issue. Then it's wrong, right? Causing dissension is wrong. So we find ourselves in this place, not, not us, but I'm talking about theoretically, where folks all at once are willing to die on a hill for something that isn't that important, but they're willing to do that. Now on the other side, there are sometimes folks who say, oh, but this tradition of whatever we do, I don't want to change it no matter what. But maybe it needs changed for some reason maybe the tradition doesn't make any sense anymore and once again i'm not i'm literally thinking of nothing i'm talking in generalities here some of you are getting scared you don't need to because i'm not doing that not going there but maybe it needs to and if i'm not willing to think about that for a minute and think well i realize it's not the word of god it's just the way we've always done it then I may also be the problem. Selfish ambition is sometimes what's behind both of those groups. Sometimes because I can do it, therefore I demand I do it. And what even could be a good thing becomes selfish. And sometimes it's we're not going to do it because my daddy didn't do it that way and my granddaddy didn't do it that way, and therefore we're not going to do it. I'll give you just this one little example. Whatever version of the Bible you use is fine. But I remember a, a sermon that I heard a man give one time. He said, my grandfather, this was an old man, my grandfather rode a horse and was a preacher and went from town to town and used the King James and if it was good enough for him, then it's good enough for me. Well, use it if you want to. But don't make it a rule, right? 
that becomes sometimes selfish ambition of everybody is going to do it just like I do it. Story is told, I've heard it a thousand times, when the first elders were installed in a congregation in Brazil, the first congregation that ever had elders there, it was in the city of Sao Paulo, and a man on the first Sunday as an elder gets up, goes behind the podium, and he says, I want all of you to know that my medical doctor, my general practitioner is Dr. So-and-so. This is his phone number, and you will all now be using him. <laughs> the missionaries had a conversation afterwards. That's not exactly what it means to be an elder, right? Well, sometimes it's selfish ambition or there's something behind it, and those things divide churches. I should treat you better then I treat myself. I remember a time as a high school, as a college kid, being on a mission trip out of the country. We go into this family's house, and they don't have a lot, but we're going to stay with them. We're four college kids, and we're going to stay with this family, and we all sit down in their tiny apartment at their little table, and they stand up because there aren't seats, and they say they bring out the pizza, I remember. And, and it comes out, it's a large pizza, and you figure they probably have two or three or four in the in the kitchen and we start eating and we're all just eating away and we're probably all on our third piece or so and there's only one or two pieces left and this is a family of four and we realized the family had not eaten anything yet because they were going to let their guests eat first and boy did I feel horrible because we had eaten almost if not all the pizza that night which was the whole dinner for everybody some went without so others so we could have you see, I should treat you better than I treat myself. I should think of you before I think of myself. I ought to be thinking about what can I do for you rather than i got to look out for good old number one. You know that old song, I Did It My Way, Frank Sinatra? You know where that got him, right? <laughs> yeah, that's not what God called us to. Philippians 2 going on, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now one of the things that I think is very important to realize in that passage and maybe one that's overlooked sometimes is it is Jesus that is deciding to be humble. It is Jesus that is doing that. It's not, well, this just happened to me, and here I am going to make the best of it. No, he is making that decision to humble himself. He is doing that. It is a conscious thing. It's not he just happened to be born into a poor family. He is making that decision to be humble and to bring humility upon himself. And so if I'm Euodi and Syntyche, or if I'm in Memorial Congregation or some other, ooh, about to lose my microphone, or some other congregation, and I'm over here, and I'm thinking, boy, I have been wronged. 
thing. I have been mistreated. People have done bad things to me. They've said bad things about me. It's not right, and so I'm going to get them back. I have never given up what Jesus gave up. Jesus took the pain. Jesus took the sins on himself. I have never experienced that. Maybe I could handle a little more than I would like to think that I could. I love my citizenship. I love being in the United States. I had a wonderful time this past week. I went to Gettysburg. I went to Valley Forge. Those things. Oh, I love all that. But understand this. The rights that are more important than my rights are your rights in Christ. Helping you is more important than helping me. Now, there are obviously there are times that we have to have self-care because if we don't have some self-care, then we won't be able to help others later. We understand that. But he says, look out for the interest of others more than you do even yourself. The body should stay unified in order to proclaim Jesus' preeminence. And if what you have in Philippi is a big old church split because two people are upset with each other and you have one big mess over here going on, just imagine what all the folks in Philippi who are predominantly Gentile are going to think about Jesus and about the church. We don't want anything to do with that. All they do is get together and fight. They can't even agree. When we show our unity, what we are showing is the preeminence of Jesus. That Jesus brings people together. If I'm looking out for your interest, then guess what you're doing? You're looking out for my interest. And we're all working together and glorifying God. So when it comes to the cause of Christ... We do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. We don't bow on doctrine. Don't misunderstand me. We don't bow on that. Doctrine stays the same. But we do everything we can within those, in those bounds to stay unified in Jesus. We work hard to be unified. This is a great congregation. I've been saying this now for 16 years. This is a great place. Somehow folks get along. I hear about places where folks don't get along. But somehow we stay together. We keep moving forward. This is what it's supposed to be like. And I'm not saying this because, because there's a problem. I'm actually saying it because I don't want there to ever be a problem. We keep going forward. We continue in our unity. Whatever it takes. So here's my question for us tonight. How's my attitude? How's my attitude? Am I more concerned with myself than I am my brothers and sisters? Am I trying to push my agenda more than I am of honoring my brothers and sisters in Christ? How's my attitude? Maybe some of us need to humble ourselves and be baptized into Christ and say, you are preeminent. In my life, you are number one. And maybe others of us need prayers for forgiveness or prayers for help or strength or whatever. You can have that tonight. You can write to us at elders at mcoc.org. 
or you can come forward. Come as we stand and sing.